Infections are infectious Like a dog scratched ear The pleasure is high Welcome to the Box Tunnel Survivors Group, a place for those affected by the issues raised in the TV show, Being Human. The first rule of Podcast Club is to record a podcast. The second rule of Podcast Club is to release a podcast. It's technically a bit more complicated than that. You've got to do research, book guests, edit, promote. That's all the small print. The basic principle is I've recorded a podcast and I'm going to release it. And here it is. Um, before I get on to the chat with Sue Hemming and Elizabeth Price about the wall-shaped bullet, I will get the admin out of the way first, so, you know, all the boring stuff, the science bit. Uh, if you want to follow the podcast on Twitter and Tumblr, it's Box Tunnel Pod. Just type that into the search. Uh, on Facebook and Instagram, it goes under the Box Tunnel Survivors Group. If you want to help out and donate a bit of money to the running costs for the show, uh, go to Coffee. that's C-O-F-I slash boxtunnelpod.com and yeah just any kind of money that will help me out just upgrade the equipment I think I need a bit of an upgrade as we head into series four and just keep keep the podcast running along on that note I've got a bit of an announcement it's not very exciting it's actually kind of an anti-announcement almost um as we are coming to the end of Series 3. Next month, uh, Full Moon, will be the Becoming Human episode and we will answer some of your questions and just queries on that episode. After that, there's going to be a little bit of a break uh, between Series 3 and Series 4. There'll be, might, hopefully, there'll be a couple of interviews to come out before the end of Series 3 coverage ends, if I can get them out in time. Um, main reason is just... I need to step back a bit. Do you know the whole mental health mantra of you've got to look after yourself and all this kind of stuff? And I've got a wedding coming up in May. I'm in the process of starting a new job. There's other things going on. And I want to come back properly reinvigorated and do it properly. So June, I think, would be a good starting point as well for it to return because that marks a year well, two years rather, since the podcast actually started in June 2022. So it's so it's a good reset point, I think. Um, yeah, on that, I am currently, if you can hear some birds tweeting, or Xing, uh, out with a dog as it's getting dark. He's got a cone on his head, the cone of shame. Uh, he's had a... Well... He's had a fucking, what hasn't he had? He's got a cauliflower ear. He's got a fucked left front leg, but uh, he had surgery on his fucked back left leg uh, about three weeks ago. Uh, cruciate linkament injury. Uh, he had surgery. And he's, well, apart from being a bit spaced out for the first couple of days, he thinks he's absolutely fine. And he's a staffy 
old English Bulldog Cross and he's clumsy, follows you around everywhere, jumps up at things, bashes it about, so he's got a, a scar on his leg that he keeps making bleed. Uh, oh, he chops a lot. Sir chops a lot. Um, that's one of his 900 nicknames. Not many of them are complimentary. Uh, what was I saying? So yes, the podcast will return after Becoming Human episode in March on full moon in June. So we'll have a couple, two or three months off, regroup, come back revigorated. And yeah, let's get on to the wolf-shaped bullet then. So that aired on March the 13th, 2011, directed by Daniel O'Hara, written by Toby Whithouse, of course. I won't go into the whole list of the cast because it's the greatest hits of Series 4, essentially, all the people we know and love. There is one exception. There's a new character played by Lee Ingleby, and that's Edgar Wyndham. So, without further ado of me nattering away in the dark, here's the wolf-shaped bullet with Elizabeth and Sue. Yes, let's do this. You are a pro. Uh, let's see. Hello. Shoe! Mikey! It's the Shoe and sh- Sue and Shoe show. Yay! <laughs> uh, are you pissed? No, I had one pint. Yeah, but in, in olden days, that would have been enough. <laughs> Um, I'm merry. I was kind of hoping you'd come on absolutely sloshed. No, I didn't do that. I don't know. We'll see what I come out with. (laughs) All right. Well, well, I've kind of forgot to do a trilogy question that I usually do for every episode. So I thought, literally five minutes ago, I thought I've got a, a question separate for both of you. Sue. Yeah. This might be a difficult one. What? Were your top three favourite gigs from last year? Um, oh, from last year. Hang on, I need to get my calendar up. <laughs> have you got it all written down in a nice little diary? Well, I have my calendar on my phone, so because I have to keep track of these things because I go to so many. Yeah, I'm not yeah. jealous or anything. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm tired. That's the problem. Is that there's too many of them? I just want too to much rock and roll. Too much fun. Uh, so I loved Two Thousand Trees. They had soft play headline. Yep. It was their return to the industry gig. That was pretty epic. Really, really enjoyed that. Download. What was what was it? Download that was amazing. I haven't seen them since they've been soft play. I saw them a couple of times as slaves. Yeah, I mean, I I think they're. And I love them. I think they're so good live, and it's just the two of them. Yeah. And it's just so it's such vibes. Also, you saw Idols, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. Um, the guy from Idols, what's his name, Joe? Yeah, Joe, singer. Yeah, so he came on set with them at Trees. Oh, cool. That was really good. Uh, enjoyed that. Bring me as well. Headline download. That was amazing. For Bye. the uh, listeners who don't know, I assume Sue means bring me the horizon. <laughs> Yes, sorry. Um, yeah, you just mates with them. Oh, you, oh, you bring me. 
BNTH, as we like to call them. Um, no, they were amazing. Absolutely loved them. They were so good. Um, who else did I see last year? I saw Shikari three times in two months last year um, at various different venues. And I went to SWX in Bristol for the first time. I know you've been there like, loads of times. Yeah, you've been there a few times. It's a good venue, that one. I absolutely loved that venue and they were amazing there and they just get better and better every time they play because we saw them again on Friday in Cardiff. Yeah, I thought this week, yeah, in oh. the arena. Yeah, it was so good. So they've done an arena tour for the first time in a while and they put on such a massive show. It was so good. Um, but SWX was such a fun venue that it was just really good and it was they seemed to have found like a new vibe. that It's like a rave vibe. Okay, yeah. I saw yeah, I saw a couple of your clips and it seemed quite ravey and dancey. Yeah, so ravey. I really loved it. So yeah, that was that was another one. Alright, enough about your exciting social life. <laughs> uh Shu, Sue Su and Shu. Mm-hmm. Uh your question is if you went to free, I don't know, because you did start doing a little blog of it a while ago, your best free plays or theatre shows that you went to last year. Slightly classier than mine. <laughs> it's all art. It's all important. Uh, can I include last month? Yeah, go on then. Okay. Um, the Motive in the Queue, which had um, Mark Gatterson, is really, really good if you know your Hamlet. Um, yeah, that's really good. And Mark Gattis is really cool in that. Um, I didn't stage door him this time, though. Most recently... I also saw um, Operation Mincemeat's very good. That's very clever. Um, and We're just going to leave you hanging. In yeah. <laughs> I can't think of anything else at the moment. Oh, no, I did see a really good, and it was, it's back to Shakespeare again, but just totally amateur production of Hamlet and it just had no bullshit whatsoever and it was so good. So that was at my local theatre. Awesome. So yeah. No bullshit Hamlet. So from the from the common in Sue and the cultured in Shoe. <laughs> uh let's commence. Um the wolf shaped bullet then. When it comes to this episode, obviously uh, being human fans say the penultimate episodes are always more classic ones or the the best ones uh, where do you think this one stands for you it's, it's necessary yeah i mean i put it on earlier to just try and rewatch it before we were talking um and i haven't watched the penultimate to lead up to this recording so i feel like when you watch it as a standalone it's incredible because I haven't had the penultimate to compare it to. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So on its own, I'm just like, oh, yeah, Nina got stabbed. Oh, my God. And also, this has happened. Oh, I totally forgot this. And then you relive it, and you're like, oh, God, why have I watched just this episode and not the one before? Yeah, I do feel like I, I did the same thing, and I missed out some bits. Might have to go back and watch the, the one before. Do you feel it... Uh, justifies the, the the whole series? Is it a uh, suitable enough ending for the whole series, do you feel? 
Yeah, I think so. I think it was an epic ending to a season. Obviously, every, at the time when it came out, everybody was really disappointed about what happened to Mitchell. Um, and then we're really concerned about the future of the show. And like, But I think that's the, purpose, that's the purpose of an end episode to a season. You kind of want to get people worried and like on a cliffhanger. And it does that. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it's good writing for that reason. And I, I think it, it's really well written. When I watched it again, I just thought, this show is so good. And this episode is the reason why. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think it does. It does. I think all the loose ends are sort of tied up by the end of this series. And likewise, it it does leave you with a really good cliffhanger. I think Wyndham just captured the imagination of like a lot of fan fiction writers, definitely, um, even though he was there for two minutes. So, <laughs> yeah. Little did we know. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's a strange thing. I also think that there are so many... Obviously, by the end, Toby's writing with season four in mind. But at the time, you're watching this without realising that some things are being set up. And then even Mm. after that, there are some cast changes that probably weren't planned. Mm. So it's like I can see the threads into series four. And I can also see like a complete cut off where season four starts fresh, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, definitely with the moon a bit as well. Yeah. I don't think any of us expected season four to start the way that it did. No, absolutely. It was a complete uh, blindside, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was a, it was a disappointing one because we all love Nina. Yeah. And then the end of the season didn't really indicate that we weren't going to still have Nina. We kind of all came to terms with the fact that Mitchell was gone, but we thought we'd keep at least two for three quarters of the cast but instead we lost half of them mm. yeah and yeah you asked about uh george's kind of role in mitchell's death and how that kind of got rounded off and i thought that the the bit in series four just kind of i don't know backtracked on what was a very nice rounded off ending to George and Mitchell's story um, how George was in series 4 yes I guess that's because he was so affected by losing Mm. Jalan Nina I suppose Mm. yeah but where I mean I I was going to discuss it later but I was supposed Mm. to discuss it now because that's you know we know what happens in this episode is I do feel like where else was George going to go as a character without Mitchell? At, at the time, I didn't think that. I thought, oh, George has a plenty more life in him. Mm-hmm. But what you know, even if Nina had stayed, there would have been something. Of course, they'd have done something. But I, I feel like the as the way the series has gone on, George has been less of an impact. He's, he mm. takes a he takes a back seat a bit more in, but towards the end of the series because he doesn't appear until like twenty odd minutes into this episode. So I don't Maybe. know what else could have been done yeah. with George. I mean, I think that he 
he just started in series one with just so much trauma and so much to work through and reasons why he wasn't being his full self and then slowly he kind of fixes all of that and then having Nina and the baby and kind of maybe apart from harboring Mitchell as a serial killer it he was getting things together a little bit yeah and and the problem is if you're too comfortable it's not really good drama is it and maybe him and Nina to some extent I know there's a lot of shit going on they're a bit too comfortable as a couple as as you know there's you can always invent things say Nina had stayed they could have had the old ones go gunning after them and then you know their house being under attack by them and they you know because that is a bit of a theme in series four anyway but as things stand at the end of series four bar the whole Mitchell shit them as a couple are quite grounded and quite secure aren't they Mm. it's like they've taken everything that everything that's been thrown at them through series one and two and three and they've just come out pretty solid from it and obviously George nearly lost Nina so now he's really solidified in like I don't want to lose you kind of so yeah yeah maybe George was finished all right, so we'll start with the first scene and through the hatch, an officer takes a photo of Mitchell only for his screen to show nothing but an empty bed. Mitchell wants Annie to rent a ghost out and aid his escape. And she says, oh, Mitchell, I don't know how to make this any clearer to you. I don't want you to get out. And I still think Annie is being really naive with the whole vampire discovery, you know, what it could do to the world kind of thing. She's still just... She's so set in her mind that Mr. Mitchell needs justice that she's not thinking of the greatest scheme of the world, really, is she? Yeah, she's kind of in that... She's Yeah, naive's the right word. She's almost like... she wants, She's still in that human mindset where she hasn't adapted to the fact that she's a ghost completely and that she thinks that the way justice is served is that you get arrested, you serve your time in prison, and then that way the family gets justice, and she kind of talks about that in the cell, but it's, yeah, she's not really considering the fact that they're they're not within the human world anymore, as much as they want to be. But I just kind of think that she is actually a murder victim herself, and she kind of watched her family go through that grieving process and be all confused and everything. So I do feel like she's more likely to empathise with the victims than any of the other three, other two, three. Yeah, that's yeah. She's so yeah. I guess. A bit like Nina, justice is the is the answer, isn't it? And no matter how painful the justice is, that's mm. what needs to be done. And she got her justice with Owen, so yeah. why shouldn't other people have that? All right, so uh, George rocks up to the police station, but is turned away as it is on lockdown. And back inside, Mitchell is starting to tell Annie of the prophecy, but not who told it. And he says, I didn't conceal it out of cowardness. Mm, debatable but because there was nothing, no punishment on earth worse than your disappointment. And Annie has finally turned on her bullshit meter. Maybe you thought you were worth it, but what the hell made you think I would? And she mm-hmm. strikes up a compromise. That's the deal. You give them justice and you get me. 
I mean, being a ghost is quite boring, but like, it's all very well sharing a police cell with Mitchell for the rest of her life, but she can pop out and have a day trip, can't she? Yeah, and also, it's not, not really, what, she's not thinking about long term, like, he's not going to die. So, is she just going to sit in a police cell and he's never going to age? What does mm. she think the police are going to do then? In, yeah. in what world does she think that they're just going to keep this guy who doesn't show up on cameras in a police cell? He's well, that's what like, Mitchell, Mitchell, Mitchell says about experiments and all that kind of thing, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, I think this is where she's being naive. It's like, what is going to happen next? We don't know. But it's not going to be innocent. I, yeah. Well, it'll be like the experiments cause, uh, they did on Sasha and all mm. the, yeah, all the, well, technical zombies, really. They didn't pass over, isn't it? Mm. Uh, we hear a key jangling outside and the door opens and suddenly proudly a reborn Herrick appears. Rule one of Vampire Club, do not get arrested. Even Steph knew that and he used to point at planes. Mitch yeah. is a, lo- a nice little callback. Uh, Mitchell is aghast. What the hell are you doing here? putting the genie back in the bottle. Come on. And despite Annie's protestations, Mitchell follows him to a blood-addled front desk where Herrick has killed the receptionist and is stamping on his phone. Was that necessary? Says Mitchell, greeted by the sight. Oh, you're welcome. And then he goes to nick the film that has Mitchell's mugshot. There's no such thing as vampires, he gleams, and holding it, holds it aloft. So you're back then, Mitchell asks. Isn't that what you wanted? No, I wanted to learn how to survive a werewolf attack. Oh, well, I feel drenched with love. Under the illusion of telling this great secret, he tells Mitchell to check the corridor before smacking him round the head with his truncheon. I'm surprised Mitchell didn't hear the uh, commotion outside, but let's... <laughs> I think we can overlook that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But, like, how good is it? I mean, he, there, was, there was a bit of that glimpse with... Nina at the end of the last episode where he, you know, he, he stabs her. But how good is it just to see Herrick gleefully evil after a series where he's just been lost? We absolutely loved Herrick, didn't we, as bloggers? And I think the point in that same quote used to come out on every single trip that we went on. <laughs> Whereas someone actually unironically pointed at a plane in the sky without even <laughs> thinking of the quote, and that was it for the rest of the night, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I just love Herrick. He's such a good baddie. Like, you, you, he's the type of baddie that you... I don't think I've actually had a baddie in a TV show since that I actually really like. Mm. Nowadays, it's a baddie that you, everybody has to hate them. Like, they're really horrific. The stuff that they do is horrible. If you think of, like, Game of Thrones and other things, shows like that now, the baddies are really nasty horrible people whereas Herrick I feel like I still love him yeah yeah but I guess because he's played with such joy like you say with with most bad guys they have to like be broody or like stern or like talk with a really deep voice like I'm going to kill you (laughs) and all that kind of stuff but he doesn't do that He's, he's just sarcastic and witty and he a bit you know he, he revels in playing with people's minds and that's probably half the fun of it isn't it yeah but i think they also they allude to the things that he's done in the past that have been absolutely horrendous but 
but really what he does in the show is quite tame. I mean, yes, he did stab Nina in the last episode, which was horrible. But other than that, there's not been anything really horrendous that he's done throughout the three seasons that would make you think, yeah, I really hate him. No, we get a lot of references throughout the first three series that other people don't think Herrick is all that. And it, uh, Mitchell even says it at the end, like Edgar Wyndham just says, Herrick, don't compare me to Herrick, you know, and, and the, the police constable in series two. And, you know, everyone's just like, well, you know, it's almost like his reputation, it, his confidence probably outweighs more than what he's achieved, maybe. Mm. Yeah, maybe he doesn't need to get his hands dirty. And maybe he is, I don't know. Yeah, sort of just being Herrick and the reputation isn't, he doesn't need the the deeds to back up the actions, but, but he's got that charisma with the vampires and he's got um, that control over them somehow, so it kind of gives him status. Uh, Tom returns home to Honolulu only to sense immediate danger and he rushes upstairs to be greeted by McNair's dead bum and a <laughs> dead Nancy. And I, I keep forgetting the shot that Nancy's there because it's such a quick shot and she is dead. Because in my mind, I, I was like, because we didn't see her actual last breaths last time. I was hoping mm-hmm. that she would be turned into a vampire. I still want Nancy as a vampire. You love Nancy. I do love a bit of Nancy. <laughs> I'm a Nancy boy. <laughs> <laughs> Alcoholic. Anyway. So. Uh, <laughs> I was going to go with the rest of the lyrics then. I immediately blanked on the lyrics of the song. I don't know what that song is. That's because you're young, Shoe. That's because you're young. <laughs> is it off Rocky Horror or something? No, it's Placebo Nancy Boy. Oh, but, no, I don't know. Oh, God, are you too young as well? <laughs> no, I doubt it. How old are you? 45. <laughs> Maybe a bit Ancient. Um, So, yes, he runs away in shock and back down the stairs and phones an ambulance for Nina. Uh, At the police station, we learn that the paramedics answered a 999 to the suspect's house, multiple murders, three police officers, two forensic, three more in critical condition, including a female late 20s. Yeah, and so we are then rushed with Nina, to the hospital, with Annie as an angel on her side. Uh, In the same room, one of the police officers loses his life and a ghost appears over his own bed. And Annie says, I'll help you. I'll show you what happens next. But soon his blood-laden corpse rises up, dead in the eyes, and starts a little ditty. Now, I don't know, Sue, you said you are watching a bit of it earlier, or, or, or Sue, do you remember what this ditty is? I mean, I've got the words in front of me. Oh. Um, you like a, you like to sing, Elizabeth? I'm not singing. I can't <laughs> do the Welsh accent either. But <laughs> yeah, the, the um, yeah, I think Leah's just been sitting up there in purgatory trying to make awkward rhymes. <laughs> I love this. Toast with ghost. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I won't sing it. I promise you. It's, what's that barking? It's all starting like a row of dominoes. Can you stop them falling? Someone's 
drew drew a mauling. Here it comes, the wolf-shaped gun. And he listen, is your mission Mitchell's toast? If you're a scaredy ghost, come to purgatory. Stop shit getting gory. Oh, the big wow wow ends your story now. What is the big but wow wow? I keep hearing like wow wow as a. I think uh, is bow wow like a dog. Yeah. Yeah. Is so it's the. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I I love that scene. It's so. I don't know. It just comes out of nowhere. You don't expect <laughs> it. Yeah. I like it. I think it's quite creepy. Mm. It's definitely creepy. If I got my daughter to watch that. I think she would be like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> I think Toby also has a thing for nursery rhymes, because I'm sure at least two or three times in the past he's, he's referenced nursery rhymes, and there's one at the end of this episode as well. So, it, I don't know, maybe he thinks nursery rhymes are quite creepy. A bit. I mean, they are. They are. They are, aren't they? Yeah. Also, I think the men with sticks and rope is quite nursery rhyming. Yeah, you could you could do a yeah you could do a tune to that, couldn't you? A little ditty. <laughs> I mean, I can. I'll create one, and when the episode comes on about sticks and ropes, the men I'll with sticks and ropes, <laughs> they walk the halls and are so dope. That's it. I'm out. The officer. They walk the halls and grope. To be honest. Uh, uh, that's the uh, Pornhub version. <laughs> All right. Uh, the officer's door opens and Annie guides him through. And then we get a bonus McNair scene in a post-death but pre-death scene. Does that make sense? He's he's It's him writing a letter that was before his match with Herrick. Um, I've got it all written down. It's really fucking long, so I'm not going to do that. But it's a nice little touch because, firstly, I think we if we'd overlook the coincidence that Herrick, and you know, Herrick was the person that helped turn McNair into a werewolf, and now he's in the house. There's a lot of coincidences like that in being human, but it's the fact that it's a really heartfelt letter to Tom where he actually finally admits that he loves him mm. and just says I've made mistakes the killing's got to stop and you see him led down with his dead body and then burying it but what I like about this is, is he says something like end this chaotic life end the violence and at the same time you see Whit- uh, Tom whittling his stake yeah so Tom's just like nope <laughs> yeah and I also like the little thing where he says I've lost every, a sense of everything that was normal and mundane, and he couldn't even remember how to pick up a pen. So I think that's a really mm. nice little touch. Yeah, it's a good image. In the grand scheme of things, McNair wasn't on screen for a lot of time, really, was he? But he had quite an impact. I think he was only in, really in four episodes alive and one episode dead. I think it's. <laughs> I think. I think his bum got more coverage. <laughs> Then, then, have you know, a great bum, though. Yeah, <laughs> more coverage than some actual, you know, side characters. <laughs> Maybe we need a, a, a McNair bum jingle. Oh, no, just no, no. We need to, <laughs> no. No. I regret the whole, you know. <laughs> no. 
if 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 we can count it, I think we can count it twice. If you, want, if you want to come up with a jingle about groping McNair's bum. Did I mention groping it? You're, you're mixing two well, different things. No. Well, I am well. mixing two different things, but... <laughs> um, right, where was I? Um, yeah, so McNair is... Distracted <laughs> <laughs> by... Um, yeah, McNair is a character. Um, I liked him. I, I, I don't think he's like up there with like the classics of like, I don't know, Gilbert or something like that. Because mainly, he, I suppose his purpose was introducing Tom and all that kind of thing. But I think he had a lot of, lot of personality and character to him. And the way he rubbed up against Mitchell badly and... Yeah, I, I, I liked it. It's not a performance you'd expect from Robson Green, is it? No, I, I, I loved him <clears throat> being human. I thought it was completely different to anything he had done before that. Mm. <clears throat> and he was really, really good in it. Um, yeah, really valuable character. I think he definitely built on Tom's story, which made Tom a more interesting character for the last two seasons. Yeah. Without that story arc, I'm not sure that the fans would have been invested enough no, to have him with the main characters in the final two seasons. So, yeah, he was really, really important for, for that for season three, and and just he was such an awesome character. And when he died, it was it was devastating for Tom, but you really felt it because of the connection that they had throughout it, and you could mm. see, you know, Tom's real childlike um, sort of tendencies and how that fed into. McNair and the way that he had treated him throughout his life so it was it, it was a really great storyline yeah I agree and um it was weird seeing because we basically watched series four series four and five quite a bit um seeing McNair's grave and that kind of comes back in series five yeah um but yeah that that kind of moment and that Tom kind of there and you know, he keeps spending time there as well. Is is sweet. He's a constant presence in series four and series five, really, isn't he? Because because mm. Tom holds him so close mm. and lives by his his morals, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, we cut to Mitchell coming round to find himself in the cage, and Herrick is prowling outside. One minute you're letting George tear my head off for the sake of humanity, and the next you're masterfing 20 of them on a train carriage. I mean, talk about fickle. Look, there's the natural ebb and flow of personality, and there's being mad as a gibbon. Because then you're doing this whole pillar of the community thing while feeding me policewomen so I can tell you how to survive a werewolf attack. I mean, you make me dizzy, you really do. Mitchell questions Herrick on why he didn't kill him. I told you. I don't know where your loyalties lie. See, I want to pick up where I left off. And having you by my side, Mitchell interrupts. I make you weak. I make you vulnerable, says the man in the cage, replies Herrick. Still walking and talking and making it look like you can't finish the job. Just kill me. Just get it over with. Hey, you know, people are starting to talk. And this triggers Herrick to grab at the cage and froth at the mouth in anger. I want you to be ugly. I want you to be corrupt. There's this vein of decency in you i want to stamp on it with my boot he calms down sits back down everyone has their weaknesses mitchell loyalty that put them in jeopardy and he sits in his milkshake or whatever the fuck he's he's sitting for 
And it's really great because I think in this whole three series, we've never really had them facing off like this. No, you're right. They've not. Yeah. Not, not to this extent. No, there's there's no masks. They're just sort of being themselves and really revealing what it is that's niggling at them. Uh, so then we then find Annie back in the dark corridors of Purgatory and Leah appears and she says, you've got my message. And Annie asks if that was you. Uh, we enter Leah's bedroom and on the TV we see Mitchell in that cage. The people that did this, explains Leah, this is their end game. This is how it happens. Uh, no, says Annie, the prophecy says he's going to be killed by a werewolf, right? So where is it? Annie says. And... Uh, Leah shrugs and says, on its way, I guess. And then we see Tom marching the streets. Uh, the, the thing about this whole Leah thing, I, I always think, and when I talked to Francis in, in the first episode of this series, he says it's probably best not to analyse too much the whole purgatory thing, many sticks and ropes thing, all that kind of thing. But in terms of Leah, firstly, how does she have the power to view the human world and how does she have the power to bring Annie in as such and do what she did which I think she's been controlling like the TV earlier in the series and and the dead police officer it, it, is it just something that we should just overlook and go alright it doesn't matter well yeah okay. she hasn't been dead for very long has she no so it's not like she's built power over time and learnt skills like Annie did it took her a really long time to hone into the skills that she had got as a ghost, whereas Leah seems to have just died. Maybe it was driven by, um, oh, the word is escaping me now, driven by, like, anger and uh, frustration with the fact that she had died and that made her super powerful and wanting mm. to gain revenge more than any other spirit did. When, um, in between series four and five, the fan fiction was like off the charts and I was collaborating with a couple of other people and we kind of really leaned into the what Annie said about having to fill out a form um, and sort of moving around different rooms in purgatory and we just kind of made it like you can do things in purgatory but you've got to fill out loads of forms and um, kind of flirt with the right people so someone can sort of get your form. So maybe Leah's sort of filled out a form and said, I want to reanimate a corpse and get him to sing a nursery <laughs> rhyme. Um, and then worked with we're, the right official and then got it through. We need to reanim reanimate the corpse paperwork. Hold on a second. <laughs> so I, I mean, think you can let purgatory be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, cool. I mean, and also in the sense like her watching the telly, you know, there's always people that when you know when my mum passed away my brother believes that she's looking down over us that mm. that could be I mean I hope she's not all the bloody time fucking hell <laughs> um, that could be you know almost a sense of you know if you're putting it in a simple term you know they might have TVs in their little rooms and they're watching our, us live our lives well yeah because you're also only getting a snapshot of one person's purgatory so yeah. it could be there's all different everyone is that passes on is in their own purgatory and then they all they could all have these things happen I suppose it would depend 
if people say that they see the spirits of somebody that's passed away at like the end of their bed for example but it's a positive thing it's not a negative maybe it depends on the spirit yeah. and whether they want to send down positive things or negative it just so happens that leah is really pissed off and wants to fuck mitchell over <laughs> and maybe the point of the purgatory is that you can kind of tidy things up from beyond the from the other side um, yeah. parts of your life so maybe sometimes you have the power to tidy those things up and sometimes it doesn't have to be a guardian angel sometimes it might be someone doing something well it's not necessarily bad because Leah thinks she's doing it for the right reasons but it doesn't necessarily have to be that person's going to look after you that that person might mean I'm going to fuck you over <laughs> mm-hmm. it, you know yeah, like you say it's, it's so it's so so many levels to it it's and there could be different forms of purgatory and and there could be different forms of purgatory and yeah it's just how she has the power to reanimate a corpse also i did think when i watched that scene they were in the middle of a busy sort of resource area where they were working on nina everybody was really working quite hard on nina and then this course just sort of corpse even not course sat up and started doing this nursery line. Did you initially say did you initially say horse? Horse? This horse this horse horse. horse. (laughs) Yeah. A horse just came in. (laughs) And no one noticed in the theatre. No one noticed. Um again, that could be only Annie and the officer, police officer, dead police officer noticed it or saw it. And it was a, a twisting of their reality. Because when, Fra- mm. when I was talking to Francis about the first episode, she was talking about Leah twisting Mitchell's reality and perception. And I, when things were coming through on the telly, but little things like that throughout the series, it's the, it's mm. uh, all the things that Annie was believed, believed was as a result of what Leah was telling her. So it could be a form of, that didn't really happen in the theatre room, but they saw that. Yeah. Yeah. It's too complicated, man. (laughs) All right, so back at the cage, and we hear Herrick's grand plan. First, we get rid of all the werewolves. I've made a start on that already, uh, with a hint of Nina there. Then it's the ghosts, like Annie. Uh, This is all met by indifference from Mitchell, Killing those people on that train. Do you think me, her and George are going to be eating a pizza in front of the real hustle now that that's out? Eric suggests that he'd say anything to escape the cage. Exactly. You've known me for 90 years and finally you get it. What the hell have you we just been talking about? It's all about expediency with me. It's skin deep. The vampires were pissing me off, so I threw my lot in with humanity. They betray me and I get on that train and I'm washing bits out of humanity of my hair for, the, for a fortnight. So what do I do? I get the fuck out of Dodge. That's what I do. I'll do whatever it takes to survive, Herrick. And right now, the only way for me to stay alive is by siding with you. Completely and 100%. You bet. Forever, I doubt it. Until then, I'll be your poster boy. Your president, whatever you want, I'll do it. And their faces get closer just as the, with just the cage dividing them. You'll be the villain now, Herrick asks in hope. And Mitchell lets out a sigh. Christ, I always was. There'll come a day when one of us finally kills each other, Herrick confesses. But it won't be today. Herrick stares back, 
locks eye contact and changes his tone. Prove it. And then he calls out, bring him in. And George, bag on his head, is dragged into the cell. Once the bag is off, George clocks Mitchell and a vibrant Herrick is clear to see. I've not been myself the last few weeks. Herrick scans to his side. Sorry about these two. It's clearly dressed down Friday. And like I say, this is like the first proper bit of George and it's 20 minutes into the episode. And obviously it's partly for the storytelling purposes, but... Okay, so back in Leah's bedroom, and he's pleading with her to make it stop. I'm not going to just stand there here and watch Mitchell be torn apart. Leah's only compromise is, so sit. Uh, Mitchell states it's not full moon and they won't fight, and that this is between him and Herrick. No, you're right. He needs a little motivation. George did. Did you know you've been living with a celebrity the last few weeks? Oh, no, it's not me. You're so sweet. No, Mitchell. It's the killer of the Box Tunnel 20. And there's this big pause, suspense and suspense hanging in the air. Right, well, that's not the response I expected. Oh, wait a minute, you knew. Oh, well, thanks everyone for pissing on my parade. Come on, boys. Me and the boys wanted a fight. There's popcorn at half time, and we were going, to, and at half time, we were going to have an espresso. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know coffee. What the fuck is an espresso? It's like a. Like a shot. Oh, a shot. Okay. A shot of coffee and a popcorn. <laughs> I mean, it's a weird combo, but sure. I mean, if that's what he suits himself to, I'd have to start a vodka or something, but... Yeah. He's a weird man. Yeah. I just love the delivery of that line, though. It's so good. Also so And an espresso! <laughs> <laughs> uh, George turns away like he's already done with Herrick's shit. I just have to think of something else to get you, pro- get you going. And uh, back in Purgatory, Leah admits to Annie that she made it up on the spot. I just wanted to screw with Mitchell's head, the wolf-shaped bullet. Oh, Annie, you didn't really believe it, did you? I can't control people. I can't see the future. You've been watching too much TV. But on that, I mean, it's, I think it's Leah probably doesn't know this, but Annie's only just learned about the prophecy probably two or three hours previously, and she doesn't even know that she's met that Leah was the one until this moment that told Mitchell. Because Mitchell never mm. said it's Leah's Leah's name, did he? He was hiding that. Mm. Uh, is that because he didn't want to admit that she he had killed? Because it only yeah, killed that's the it, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so she says, if there's no prophecy, then why is this happening? And Leah says, it's a self fulfilling prophecy. He made it come true. Uh, back in the cage, and this is like the first time I noticed it on this watch, is. That's about a two two or so minute scene with Leah and Annie. I know these kind of things shouldn't bother me, but when you watch an episode so many times, you pick up on this shit. Is <laughs> I, the scene literally continues exactly where it left off? Herrick going, I, I need to give you motivation, and then he goes in to say what he says. But it's like there shouldn't have been a cut there. But Is it I, I understand at the same time. Yeah, I, I understand why the Leah and Annie scene is put there. It's just, I don't know, it's just a bit awkward, maybe. People don't notice this shit, apart from me. <laughs> well, you've got a podcast. I know, I know. Um, yes, so Mitchell wanted to get me back to my old self. Long story, don't ask. So he's been trying to make me drink blood again. You know that policewoman who came to the house? He actually brought her up to the attic. He was like... 
digging. Anyway, eventually I did. I had a jolly good munch. <laughs> the childish Lee is so funny. And you know, the first thing I did? Oh, no, hang on. Before that, I killed McNair. I'm getting this story in completely the wrong order. First thing I did after, I killed Nina. Uh, it's such a... The dialogue and the delivery, the way he goes from just being throwaway and ditzy and then the line, I killed Nina. Mm. So fucking good. And then the Richard Wells music kicks in and tears, tears swell in George's eyes. No, you're lying. Pale blue top, little twigs in her hair. At least I think I killed her. I stabbed her in the kidneys. Usually does the trick. And George screams with utility and rattles a cage. It hurts, doesn't it? Mitchell brought me back. He lit the fuse. He walked away. And it was bye-bye Nina. And George turns from grief to anger in an instant and turns on Mitchell. He killed all those people, George. He made you complicit. Everything he touches, he corrupts or destroys. First you, now Nina. And George piles into Mitchell. On this, I mean, it's the whole stop clock being right once, twice, twice a day. Not once. Uh, Herrick's actually right, isn't he? But he's but he's he, he's using it to his advantage as usual. Yeah, I mean, poor George. He's just there's not a lot that he could. Herrick was going to push his buttons with everything that had happened, but twisting yeah. it to kind of make it Mitchell's fault, like it's not Herrick's fault. It's all sort of construed by Mitchell. Like you say, he's sort of twisting the situation to make it his benefit. I mean, nobody in the house really wanted to kill Herrick for most of the time. Mm. But uh, Mitchell was actively, in the end, wanting to wanting to munch. But if George wasn't in the cage, he would have killed Herrick rather than Mitchell. But because, yeah. because he couldn't get Herrick, he's gone for Mitchell. Yeah. Yeah, and it's like... a. So at odds with the the end scene, well, one of the end scenes of series one where they're in the cellar, George is in the cellar with Herrick, and now Herrick's on the other side in control, and George is caged. Mm. Uh, George's punches are blunted by his turmoil, and Mitchell holds him off. It's you. You're the one who's going to kill me. Herrick is smashing the chair up to form a perfect stake from the leg. Always happens in the show. I don't know why Tom spends so much time whittling away. Why don't you just smash some chairs up? Uh, Herrick pops it into the cage. And speaking of Tom, he storms in, dismisses the dress down Friday club and approaches Herrick. Anthony Michael McNair, murdered by a vampire, avenged by a son. We have a stake off, uh, one to George, one to Herrick. And Mitchell's words, as well as McNair's letter, stop Tom from killing him. And it's ironic that I think giving all the vampire slaying that Tom still goes on to do, the one vampire he doesn't fucking kill is Herrick. Yeah. Uh, the cage is unlocked at Mitchell's request. I find Herrick backs down quite easily here. Because, like, Tom's already backed off. Yeah, I mean, Tom could, like, lay some punches into him or whatever. But Mitchell's still in a cage. And he just kind of backs off and opens the cage. I think he's still just observing Mitchell, seeing what Mitchell's going to do. I think he wanted Mitchell to kill George, not George to kill Mitchell. Yeah. Um, out of that whole situation. Um, so, yeah, I think he's still just, like, intrigued um, with how Mitchell's 
reacting or how he's going to play it. Yeah, as you said, see where his loyalties lie. Yeah. Uh, Herrick urges him to kill George. That famous Herrick brain clearly ain't working at full speed yet, is it? Listen to me. You ripped your head off, cancelled the revolution, so you're going to have to kill him yourself. But do it publicly. Make a statement. Uh, And again, I think... I don't know. It just seems weird that Herrick just walks out and expects Mitchell just to follow him with George. But again, like you say, he might be just testing it. Hmm. Yeah, I think Herrick is difficult to predict a little or to decipher in this episode. On the surface, it's like, yeah, I'm going to start the the new revolution. Um, but there's there's other things going on that um is difficult to decipher. Yeah. Uh, once he's out of sight, Mitchell withdraws the stake from the back of George's head and insists he will kill Herrick, but he needs to find something out first. George is now done with Mitchell's shit too. You, you killed my Nina and you killed all those people. You don't say my name now. You don't even look at me now. You are not my friend. You better go. Your boss is waiting. And I love that little speech is kind of a call back to his lecture to Mitchell in The Longest Day. And it came in the sense that like, I, I will pretend I never had a friend called Mitchell. I won't tell you my, my child about you. And it's all that. And he's back. He's back into that mindset, isn't he? Mm. Like vocalism all of that. It's very back and forth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's no commitment in these friendships really, is there? You know, it's very superficial. You, you, somebody, you know, you know your mate's a vampire, he's gonna fuck up every now and then. Surely you would wanna help to get him back on track. But yeah. instead you're just like, nah, I'm just gonna wash my hands, I'm done now. I get it, you just killed Nina, but yeah. Yeah. Um and Ligatory, ligatory, that's a leg thing, isn't it? It's Leah in purgatory. <laughs> so back to Leah in purgatory. Uh, a shell-shocked Annie, if this was all a mind game, why didn't you get me over, why did you get me over here? And she says, keeping you here, depriving him of you, that will be his punishment. And she says, why didn't you keep me here when you had the chance? He didn't love you enough. It wouldn't have hurt him enough. And Annie realises that she was the weapon. Uh, she says, this is all one big game to you, isn't it? And Leah's path aggy switches to just ag. Uh, this wasn't a game. This is revenge. He killed me. Let me tell you something about revenge. It isn't petulant or being a sore loser. It's righteous. Again, fuck you. This is what needs to happen. Revenge is about setting the world straight again. My dog sounds really fucking angry too. (laughs) 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 Fuck you, Mitchell. That's what he's saying. (laughs) Or my partner's just come home from work. Probably that. Uh, Leah goes on to explain about her family suffering. This was all for them. Can you not understand that? And uh, Nina to her is collateral damage. And he pretends to go along with it. What the hell, I was going to spend eternity in prison cell with Mitchell. I might as well spend it in here with you. Besides, when Nina gets here, I want her to see your friendly face. Nina states that the three of them would be great friends, and I can fucking guarantee you that Nina would not get off of Leo in any way. <laughs> Guaranteed. No chance. And Annie says, yeah, all the murdered girls. Besides, we'll have to watch George. Talk about your parents' grief. We'll have to watch George now that he's lost Nina, now that he's lost the baby. 
now that he's lost me. I want you to watch Leo, watch him turn hard. So, uh, hang on, I'll let finish that sentence. <laughs> watch him. That's an unfortunate page turn, that one. <laughs> watch him. That's why I don't want my mum watching me, you know? Not from heaven. Uh, watch him turn hard. <laughs> I've totally lost my place now. Cold mean. They're like your comrades, George. This is a really sentimental moment, and I thought that one up, haven't I? George and Nina, the last victims of the Box Tunnel 20 massacre. And then she says, Trust me, grief and revenge are not things to get drunk on. I think you wanted wild and biblical, but instead you just woke up somewhere unfamiliar with your underwear on back to front. And again, I think even more so than Herrick's backtrack, I think Leah backtracks really quickly. It's does it seem right that she just goes, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, sorry. I suppose, yeah, I do. I agree. It's probably a bit quick. But if we think that they need to conclude it. Yes, of course. Yeah. And they've only got the episode to do it. And I think it's, you know, girl to girl, murdered girls, like she said, <clears throat> pulling at her heartstrings. You know, this is your now feeling hurt because you, think you wanted revenge. But think about how hurt George is going to be. And maybe that just impacted her harder than she expected it to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's not thinking about the consequences of what she's done up until this point. No. And it's nice that you're seeing her in her bedroom with, um, I can't remember what's on the wall, like ducks or bunny rabbits or something. And, and Foo Fighters and, and Teddy Dave Grohl. I think, I think Dave Grohl should have got a bloody credit in the... In the... <laughs> he appears so often. Yeah, you're just kind of seeing her as like... Oh, a, yeah, little girl who's got murdered. <laughs> uh, as Annie leaves, she remembers Gilbert. Somewhere here there's a man called Gilbert. Find him, tell him Annie sent you. He's really nice. Uh, firstly, there's probably quite a lot of Gilberts floating around in, in purgatory in heaven. Mm-hmm. Secondly, again, in what way would Gilbert get on with Leah? God Can't knows. Be. He'd like dance underneath in front of his face and she'd find it funny. <laughs> Anybody would find that funny. Well, I don't think he'd like Foo Fighters. Mm. Oh, maybe his music taste would have developed in purgatory. True. <laughs> <laughs> He's into gospel music now. Yeah. <laughs> he likes a Casey Texas album. <laughs> Uh, okay, so this is the last we ever see of Leah. What What are your ultimate like conclusion of her as a character? Is it more that I think she's fine as a character? I think she more is more the purpose she served, isn't it, more than anything? Yeah, I don't think there was anything wrong with the the, the purpose of the role. It's fine. I think it was an interesting choice of actor. Um. They could have gone in a completely different direction. I, I, I don't. I, I don't have huge thoughts on it. I think it, it is what it is. It kind of got us to the point that we're at. So it's it's one of those things where you know that it needs to happen. Whoever delivered it, you're never going to like them fully because they've just the entire cast that we love so much. So obviously we're not going to be massive fans of her. But I think, it, like you say, it served the purpose. So it is what it is, really. Can I yeah. Just, my dog is clearly not a fan of Leah either. <laughs> Yeah, I think she she did serve a purpose. She gave voice to the Box Tunnel Twenty. Um, 
I guess there was some quirks like of her character, but not. Yeah, I don't think she was as. There wasn't time to give her. A... That's it. Yeah. Lots of lots and lots of things to make us love her. I guess. All right, so we are transplanted back in, transplanted back to the hospital. Well, could be transported back into the hospital and Annie whispers into Nina's ear and she gasps, her eyes open and she is saved just as George and Tom are ushered out of the theatre. Now, is this kind of some kind of magic Annie superpower? And secondly, uh, what do you think she says? I don't think it is. Because in the scene when they're in the hospital and they... Um, they use the heart pads on her right at the start of the episode when she first gets to the hospital. Her heart rate comes back anyway. Oh, okay. So I, I don't think that Annie saves her. I think that she just sort of wakes her up from whatever's happened. I don't, I don't know what she would say, though. So it's more like a familiar mm-hmm. voice that is just yeah. helping to bring her around. Yeah, I'm, I was thinking the same thing when I watched it. It's like, Nina, I'm here. You know, come back to George or whatever. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, a, a, a comforting presence, maybe. She whispers into her ear, because you're worth it. <laughs> and then he goes, yeah, I am. Fuck yeah, I'm back, bitches. <laughs> All right, so Mitchell and Herrick are having a nice little romantic evening by the sea. And Herrick <laughs> is already explaining his master plan. He's clearly forgotten that George is no longer their hostage. So, I, yeah, that... Shall we over, is that worth overlooking because Mitchell didn't clearly clearly didn't bring him out with him. Oh, yeah, I didn't notice that. Yeah, you think that Herrick would have would have been like, "Where's George?" Yeah, where's George, you fucker? <laughs> but he, he, Herrick in the scene seems very, even though like Mitchell's clearly let George go, and Mitchell's saying like, "I let down my best friend," and blah blah blah. Just well, I'm gonna we're gonna take over the world. You know, I know you're a bit out of sorts, whatever. And it's just, yeah, it's quite a, maybe he's just letting Mitchell have a little mope and then getting him back on track in his mind. Uh, Yeah, he says, we've got sleeper cells in Europe, America, Australia. I just have to say the word and it begins. And then he goes, what are we doing here? And Mitchell, with a sly smile, says, you'll see. And he says, listen. I think it's about time that I explain the trick. So basically, if George has stuck a stake in me, then it was game over. I mean, no one comes back from that. So I kind of uh, just got lucky with him just ripping my head off. (laughs) Uh, Mitchell shakes his head and smiles. I don't want to know anymore. I saw the look of contempt on my best friend's face and I realised this has to stop. Um, Yes, so he picks out a map and let's cross the border, find ourselves a nice English village. I make some calls. Wooten under edge. How does that sound? If we like it, we can make it our new capital city. I've googled Wooten under edge. It's like a little village. So I don't know how you're going to make that a capital city. Quite funny that they've, they've used this random location. I wonder if uh, Lord Toad has got a connection. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Uh, Mitchell isn't really listening. I want to show you something first. You recruited me, you led me into this unbelievable world, and I know I've done some terrible things, but I've seen some extraordinary things too. I have more memories than I deserve, Herrick, and that's because of you. So in turn, return, I want to give you this. And we see the sun setting. And I think, in my view, this is Mitchell's way of saying, here's something beautiful here before I kill you. <laughs> and mm. Herrick kind of takes it on as beautiful because he says, look at this world. Because he does that 
gravelly voice again. Look at this world. How does it make you feel knowing that soon this will all be ours? And Richard says, don't you understand? He raises stake. It always was. And as he branches his stake, he punches Herrick right in the heart. And as his body dissolves, Herrick gives a look of, I would say, pride almost, or like, oh, you fucker. I don't know what it is. <laughs> no, I can't figure out that face either. I think, you know, like Sue said earlier, Herrick's quite difficult to interpret in this entire episode. I think it's yeah. because he's almost got like a, there's a deeper connection between Mitchell and Herrick that you don't previously see because Mitchell's trying to distance himself so much from that lifestyle. Yeah. That in mm-hmm. the episode, it's almost like there's a, there's an underlying affection between them that you can sort of see there that Herrick definitely sees. I think Mitchell is trying to get away from it but can't. Mm. And it kind of makes sense that he would then take him to a beautiful scenic place to kill him. Why else would he do that if he didn't have this underlying relationship? That's it, yeah. I really liked the final, the line, like, soon this will all be ours. And then Mitchell, like, don't you understand? It always was. And it's like, you don't need to conquer the world to enjoy it. You don't need to own it. You can sit here and watch the sun. Um, and it just kind of reminded me of the the kind of the line at the end of series five, like um, when Tom asks Fat mm-hmm. Hal if it's uh, um, are we wasting our time being human? And it's like to want it is to have it. I don't know. It's sort of it's yeah. there. Just just enjoy it. I didn't. I've never viewed that Mitchell line as that. But it, yeah, I guess it is, isn't it? Like. Yeah, he's come to the conclusion of what the fuck have we been doing all this time? We could have just been, and you know, living. I know that's not easy when you're an addict and you're a vampire, but mm. but yeah, yeah, there is comparisons there. Oh, mm. also, before I get onto that scene, like, I mean, I think we've raised enough in the in the podcast about how brilliant Jason Watkins is and Herrick is. So any like, oh, Herrick's gone. Herrick's actually dead. We can't really do justice to it because I think we've talked about it a lot in the podcast how fucking great he is. Mm. But uh, rest in peace, Herrick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so in a scene that on first watch is a complete surprise and is completely out of sync with the rest of the episode, we are in the offices of the police, police station and men in suits walk in and stand over people's desks. The obvious leader sighs and shushes everyone, plays a recording of the arrest, which at first sounds like the Mitchell arrest, that ends up with gunshots and uh, and we're clear. A nation excels, he says, as the killer of the Box Tunnel 20 is finally brought to justice. In other words, that was the sound of someone else doing your job. My name is Edgar Wyndham, and as of 26 seconds ago, you are all unemployed. You'll be searched on the way out, and when your wives and husbands ask you why you are back so early, so shamefaced, you tell them this. Our superior officer disappeared. An arrest was made, but then the arresting officer and five more police were killed at the suspect's house, and then the suspect disappeared. You tell your families, I am here because I, I have failed. A voice uh, comes from off screen in the office, it calls out, Who the hell are you? And I'm always, the first time I heard it and the, the time I hear it now, I still think that sounds like Simon Pegg. <laughs> It'd be the weirdest fucking cameo. <laughs> But it sounds like Simon Pegg. I'm from head office, Edgar Sneers. I am the man from Del Monte. I am the wrath of God. 
lots of people don't really like the scene, but I I do. I I think it's got a, like a suitable sense sense of menace to it. What do, what do you reckon of the scene? I like it, but I do think because we've just lost Herrick, who was obviously an epic fan, yeah. and then you get this guy come in and. Uh, when you're a massive fan of a show like this, you always worry that they're going to replace characters. And that was yes. a big thing with Mitchell. It was a big thing with um, Herrick. And that this kind of gives you the sense that potentially they're replacing him with Wyndham. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I think it's, it's fine. It's a good scene when you know that that's not the case and they're not replacing him. But at the time, I think I would have panicked that if this is the replacement, I already don't like him. Only because you're trying to replace Herrick and he's never going to be replaced. Yeah, he does have that similar kind of blend of menace and humour and like, oh, and from head office, it's sort of ordinariness, but also that um, I guess you can see that the kind of the the baddies have a similar feel, maybe. Yeah. Um. But then later you find out that he's an old one and he's just like, ooh, exciting. All right, so back at Honolulu, Annie's reading the paper and out loud. Neighbours describe Jason Healy as a loner with a short temper. So a random man has been arrested for the box tunnel for 20. This is, to me, there is a link between the Jason Healy thing and Cutler in series four, but also... Cutler didn't really have a lot of influence. He was he was ridiculed with by the old ones. So and it seems like Wyndham and this lot have done the covering up. So I need to once we get into series four, I need to like properly make that connection of what the cut, Cutler connection is to the Box Tunnel Twenty stories. I think he just kind of elaborated or just yeah. used the evidence that had already existed to and manipulated it for his own purposes. Yeah. So exaggerated his influence on what happened, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he used the, the coroner um, to, um, yeah, to fake the report that there was human flesh in the tummy. Um, yeah. I think he just, the, the cover-up had happened, and then he sort of just seized upon that opportunity to manipulate it to his... Yeah. Okay, so we learn that being a werewolf does have some advantages as Nina is healing very quickly. Uh, George looks out the window and sees Mitchell standing in the dark like a goth scarecrow. Uh, I love this. Sh- I love the shot as George walks up to him on the street. Uh, you can sense a real face-off happening, and inside Mitchell whips out a stake, solemnly announces, "I what? Stop being rude. Who giggles? Who was that?" <laughs> Whips out his wood. <laughs> this, is, this is an emotional moment. Come on. Uh, he, he says, I want George to kill me. And he weighs away Annie's protestations. I'm going to kill again. We all know it because I have to, because there's a part of me that wants to. The vampire gene is stubborn. It finds a way to fry. I need to be stopped in a way that I can't come back from. Nina questions why it has to be George. And he says it has to be him. It's the final piece of his story with me. Nina scoffs. Vampires and their inscrutable bullshit. You can't do it by yourself because it won't provide enough anguish. You've been killing for nearly a hundred years. All this bloodshed and turmoil. 
become your currency, even suicide has become some shared bloody trauma. And she's bang on. Mm. Yeah. Why does it have to be George? Is that a thing? Is Does that... I know Mitchell's justification of it. it, it there is a sense to it, but I don't know. She's, but I feel like Nina was the character that always said what you were thinking. Yeah. And she just said it exactly as it is. I think it's the it's the nurse in her. Yeah. She just say exactly what you think. And there's no bullshit. And it, she says what what you're thinking, but you don't want to say it because you don't want to upset anyone. And she just comes out with it. So she's bang on the money. Yeah, I think I agree. It does just feel a bit like really. Mitchell's next line is, you've all become corrupted by me, but George most of all. But, like, making George kill someone, that's more of corruption, isn't it? That's more ebbing away at his soul, isn't it? Yeah, maybe in Mitchell's warped head, it's like, it's giving George closure over the whole situation, because he knows what George has done. He knows that George is angry with him as well, because he did go for him in the cage. So maybe he doesn't want to leave George holding on to that resentment and that anger. Oh, I wish I'd fucking ended him. He's given him the out. In George, yeah, in yeah. Mitchell's mind, maybe that's the best way to do it, but obviously for any logical, rational person. Okay, so cue the obligatory kitchen meeting and a moral dilemma of letting him go or keeping him there. Uh, but they get nowhere near, nowhere near to an answer, so George goes out to face Mitchell, who learns that Herrick is dead, proper dead. I love this whole exchange. George is his friend one minute, but then he wants to pull his spying out through his mouth he could go to scotland but he'd kill people in scotland and let's not mention keeping him in the attic uh mitchell says it will be an heroic act and george sand george george sand saves the world yeah it was never one of my ambitions to replace. well i wanted to own the pub but this is where we're at <laughs> is, is that is that such a dark moment there's still those lines that have just, mm. just cut through isn't it mm. yeah then Mitchell tries to provoke George by turning on him with insults, but a couple of pushes from George, and he crumbles and relents and goes into a pool of tears on his knees. There's going to be another train next time, or Jesus, or, or a school. Please, George, you need to stop me. If you don't do it for me, you, you have to do it for them, please. Again, he could have just staked himself. Uh, George reluctantly tells him to get to his feet, and Mitchell starts his goodbyes, and he gets in a quick snog, and Mitchell tells her, you were the love of my long life. And this is where we all go, no, she wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Really? Um, yeah, and then he says, thank you, you made me human. It's like a not, it's going on as long as an Oscar acceptance speech, isn't it? Yeah, it does go on. It does, it does, not on the first watch, but uh, once you know what happens, yes, it does go on a bit. Mm. Uh, as George is about to plunge his wood into Mitchell, they, there's one for you, <laughs> they are interrupted by another nursery rhyme. One, two, buckle my shoe. Three, four, knock on the door. Five, six, put down sticks. And in walks Edgar. Uh, he can walk in because he's an old one. You don't get to be a thousand years old without learning a trick or two. George compares him to Eric, as I mentioned earlier, and this gets a negative response. This is what is going to happen, he declares. Mitchell, you're coming with me. This is martyrdom isn't an option. You're going to dance with me. You are going to kill and rampage. You are going to be my attack dog. And the day that you say no is the day that I crucified George and Nina in Regent's Park. He looks at Annie. I think you're more powerful than you imagine, so I'm going to keep you around. Besides, and he whispers into her ear, you are, there are going to be a lot more ghosts soon. And then there are the history makers. So there's a little 
like that. It, unknowing probably at the time, mm-hmm. but a reference to series four. A werewolf impregnated by another werewolf who'd never seen the like. The others want you cold. I'm the curious type. I want to see exactly what it is that's going to pop out. I want you to pass on a message to every werewolf, every ghost, every vampire that you meet. You tell them the world is under new management now. This is year dot. You tell them this. The age of the vampires has begun. And George raises the stake to Edgar, Edgar's disdain, but he instead strikes it into Mitchell's heart. I'm doing this because I love you. And Mitchell offers a smile, I know, as he crumbles away. And I, I don't know, that's not too dissimilar to the look that Herrick gave Mitchell in a way. <laughs> kind of like, yeah, I know why you've done this. And the three of them face Edgar and George declares, I think you've got a fight on your hands. Is is the death? I mean, I think Mitchell dying at the end of series three is totally right because it was well mm. where it was always heading. Mm. Is it right that George did it? I still don't know. I know for storyline, maybe effects. That's why that why it's been done like that. I think that if he if they had killed him before Wyndham showed up. It would have felt uncomfortable. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. But because Wyndham showed up and then he was like, you're going to be my attack dog, I'm going to have you massacring left, right and centre. And you just saw Mitchell just look so resigned and so like sad about that. George is doing it to save Mitchell from that. He's mm. doing it because he loves him. It's, yeah. You got an inkling of that before when he was like, I can see all the people that I'm going to kill and I don't want to kill them. But, yeah, just that moment when it's like, no, Mitchell's going to be taken away and have to do horrible things. And George just saved him from that. So I think that that was very, it felt right there. And I think the beauty of British TV shows is that they don't drag these storylines out. No. And that's why I like them, because if you compare it to a show like Supernatural, for example, the characters die on repeat. I think Dean died in Supernatural something like 287 times. <laughs> that's not even an exaggeration, but like, I genuinely think that happened. Um, and so it, there's, it, no, it, there's no sense of peril, is there? No, and then also, you know, it's very, when you're invested in the character, every single time that you think there's a dramatic storyline where they could die, it's it, it's just draining and it, it becomes not believable because they do it too many times. You, you kind of need it to be, and I liked how they made it really clear that there was no coming back from this. Herrick has just told us that if you get staked, that's it, game over. Mm. And then they've made sure that they stake him so you know he's not going to come back. Mm. It's good. I like that they did that. Yeah. It's a good way to end it for the character. And being yeah. humans, not being humans, a show that's not afraid to kill off people, is it? Yeah. And people love that about a TV show. I get. I don't mean to keep comparing it to other shows, but things like Game of Thrones, where they kill off major characters, and then they continue with the show, and people still love it because you know mm-hmm. that your favorite character isn't safe. They could die at yeah. any point, and that's what makes you keep watching it. Cause it's really good. Yeah, I think I, um, I have two things to say about the death. I've just remembered that I, I remember at the end of series five, we were kind of worried for how, because we'd been shown this is how 
this is how a vampire, if they get too far, and and I think that Howl's desperation in series five was similar, maybe not as bad, but um, to Mitchell's desperation in this series, and um, yeah, we, I felt like I don't know any other way out of this other than staking him, and I don't want that to happen. So you did feel like that could happen. Um, and my other point was I I showed this to my partner. Um, when we were really early dating and what made him watch all of Being Human and after Mitchell died he was like I can't believe you've just got me to watch three series and got me really invested in this character knowing that he's gonna die yeah he was very (laughs) upset about that but yeah but that goes back to what Sue says you know you you need and especially in a drama you need that push and pull of what's going to happen and and you know the the consequences have to be well real in the loosest sense otherwise it it you, you know you, the the power isn't there because if, yeah, if, yeah. if they killed mitchell and you know if something had happened to mitchell at the end of series three and he wasn't staked and then he comes i know it happened with herrick but that's a rare thing in being human because he, herrick came back but you could kind of excuse that but if Mitchell came back in series four or series five, then you go, well, what was all that trauma about in series three? Yeah. And there's no way of, if, if the characters can just keep coming back and coming back, it, it, you're not going to be invested when they do die. Cause you'll be like, well, they're just going to bring it back. And it means exactly. you can't, you can't end the show because yep. you're going to guarantee that there's some way that they would exactly like sweeping out. So it just dragged on and on and on. They should have ended that show from season five. And then they made it 15 seasons long. <laughs> just, you know. Yeah, and like, like I say, like Herrick was the odd one out in that because yes, he was killed, but he did come back. But that, but he still at the end had a definitive end. Exactly because they made it that if you get staked, that's it, game over, you're dead. There's no way of coming back from that. So I like that even though he got brought back, it was almost that like he came back through a loophole. Mm. Rather than oh they, you know vampires can die but they can just keep coming back they didn't leave it open like that. Confession: Did any of you cry at the time? No. No, I didn't I, cry. I don't think I've ever cried that being human. No, no maybe because maybe because it went on too long. This this scene. <laughs> I don't. I didn't cry, but I think it, I. I find it really difficult to cry at drama TV shows. I think yeah. if they're meant to be just sad and soppy all the time, then I would cry. But if it's, it could be human, one minute it's really, really sad, the next minute it's hilariously funny. So by the time that tears have started brewing, the moment's passed and it's funny again, or something exciting's happened, like in this scene, yeah, there's there's three of them are stood there, like, I think you've got a fight on your hands. You're like, yes, get you hyped. Yeah. Yeah. And also we kind of never really see anything. Like, what happens after that? Does, like, George, because we know... Wyndham dies, doesn't but not through the hands of George, does he? That's what they say. It's like, well, that's what the Griffin says in series four, that he killed Mitchell and then he killed Wyndham. Yes, of course. There you go. So, so George didn't go, do you want a cup of tea, mate? Before you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, you, you can't really imagine it from that sort of scene at the end George just oh. like jumping on Wyndham now no. um, yeah so 
that obviously leads to the question, like, we are then going to Series 4 without Mitchell, and then obviously over that spring around March, April time, I think. No, over the summer of that the same year, 2011, uh, Russell announced that he was leaving Being Human as well. So that just causes, like, where, where we, I remember seeing George, George's tweet, Russell's tweet, and thinking, what the hell? No Mitchell, no George. So mm. where were you at the time thinking about Series 4, thinking, what the hell's going to happen? It was a really, it was, it was exciting because obviously all over the blog and on Twitter, we were all hot on Twitter at that time. Um, and there was a lot of talk about what was going to happen with the series and who was going to be, like I said earlier, about the replacement for Mitchell. And I think my main concern is that they were going to bring in a character that was going to be the new Mitchell, somebody who was going to be exactly like him. They were going to try and have a different actor but play the same character, and I was really, really worried about that. No. Um, but, I mean, obviously, the excitement around season four starting took over from the anxieties of who was going to be replacing them. Yeah. Just because we, we love the writing and the way that Toby and all the writers wrote everything was amazing. Um, and we had such a big community mm. that we kind of, we got together, didn't we? We were having it was it was exciting. It was an exciting time, but still quite nerve wracking. Yeah, and they brought out the the prequels, didn't they? Yes. Um, and Hal's prequel was just like so exciting. I remember googling the Battle of Orsha and finding it was four hundred years ago, and like what, what, <laughs> what, 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 <laughs> what, 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 yeah. Um, so yeah, that was just a super. It was, it was a traumatic but exciting summer, I think. Yeah. Going into, yeah. It's alright. Um, I think I think Sue quite liked the uh, new vampire. <laughs> I love him. It, I was very apprehensive, but then as soon as that people came out, I was like, oh yeah, okay. I've got. I get it now. I suppose before we move on to the, you know your, your Hal crush, I think we should like just say how amazing Aiden Turner was as Mitchell. Mm. As, you know, obviously that's it now for Aiden as Mitchell. Going going to be a bloody hobbit. He's <laughs> <laughs> a dwarf, wasn't he? Um, I don't know. I've watched it. I've got <laughs> attention to it. They're all short people in in a fairy lairy land. <laughs> with with long hair. And I, I can't remember. Well, he might have been a dwarf. Yeah, I think. Yeah. What's yeah. He was a dwarf. He was one of the thirteen dwarfs. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Disappointment in that noise. Oh. What? What? Sleepy, dozy, bashful. What? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you, Aiden Turner. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Thank you for that. Why did you have to go and be be a dwarf? Pop it. Bashful. Easy. All right, anything else to add? No. Uh, <laughs> 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 Elizabeth, Elizabeth was rustling paper, going like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. No. <laughs> yeah my notes are finished uh, 
It was. I really liked series three, though. It was very dark, but I really liked it. Yeah, I still think when it was brilliant, it was absolutely brilliant. I still think, and this is controversial, I still think series two is better overall. And that's greeted by silence. It's hard because when I watched it at the time, I definitely had favourite episodes where and favourite seasons and different story arcs that I was more invested in than others. But now I just think I've, I've, it's been so long that I just appreciate it as a whole. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And I, I don't think of it as like different episodes or different seasons anymore. I just think of it as being human and, and I just love it as a show. So any episode that I rewatch, if I'm, if, if I binged it right from the beginning all the way through, then I, I probably would have that mindset again where I could differentiate between them but at the moment I just think of it as like an amazing TV show and I just loved every single part of it oh so I differentiate because I have to and it's painful because you're still currently you're you're going through like a really long rewatch <laughs> yeah yeah but occasionally I do dip into like other episodes just you know sometimes I go oh I'll have a series five I'll have a series one you know, I occasionally do that because, yeah, I'm not doing the slowest rewatch in the history of the world. <laughs> I mean, there are other TV shows, Mikey. I'm just going to put that out there. But what? <laughs> no, there's not. Clearly not for you. I mean, I think it's, it's, I'd really like to, at some point, if I ever have time, um, rewatch the episodes and then listen to the podcast alongside the episodes. Cause I think it's, it's really interesting to delve a bit deeper because, Often when you watch TV, it's very superficial, isn't it? I'm normally on my phone and yeah, yeah. I'm not paying that much attention. But when you really, really think about it, there's a lot more through shows than, and that's what the blog was all about. Yeah. Midnight was, rewatches. Yeah, oh my God. When the prequels <laughs> came out, I swear we were psyched for a good two days <laughs> watching that over and over again and just like ripping the entire thing apart. Like, this is what we used to do. It was, we were fully invested, and it was just such a good time. Thank you very much to Sue Hemming and Elizabeth Price for coming on the podcast once again. Uh, apologies, my dog likes to take over my show. If you hear him in the background snoring, uh, uh, yeah, it's like a glowing review, isn't it, really? Listen to the podcast, fell asleep. <laughs> on that, if you... I never really mentioned this. If you want to leave a rating, you can do it in certain apps. I know Spotify you can. Or a review of the podcast. As long as it's better than my dogs, feel free to do that on your uh, podcast app of choice. I'll just go into wrap up a bit with notes from the afterlife. Uh, things we didn't quite cover in the chat. Um, I put out on Twitter for your opinions on the wolf-shaped bullet um i've got here from emma it was devastating but i remember thinking the you were the love of my lifeline not sitting right i always thought they had more of a best mates vibe than anything romantic but i suppose that can be a friendship love too yeah i mean it's a common thing in the being human fandom that josie really was the love of mitchell's life in the sense that she understood him and took him for who he was as a vampire and Annie doesn't really. I think Annie's cuts herself off to a lot of it, and when Mitchell does something bad, she she's appalled by it. And of course, I think in the terms of the timeline, 
of series three when they started the relationship is probably three or four months. I know someone out there will know what the actual timeline is. And that three or four months was covered by trauma and uh, distrust. And it it just doesn't fit that Annie, even with a friendship angle, it, it just doesn't fit that Annie was the love of Mitchell's life. Uh, got Beverly says can't wait to the podcast time to rewatch the episode yes you should because it's fucking good uh, Jim I remember watching it live then seeing the Aiden Turner goodbye video on the blog after hit hard for sure yeah and it's you've got to remember for such a generally fairly small scale show like Being Human to lose such a talented actor as Aiden Turner it was a big old blow and we as we discussed in the chat, we just didn't know what was going to happen next, and I can't really remember if when the credits rolled it said series four will come back next year, or sometimes they do, or whether it was just a month or two or three of, well, is that the end of the show or, um, but it, the show itself is just a, a home to such talented actors, cre- writers, creators, and they're always on to go on to. You can say bigger or better things, but certainly bigger things. Um, yeah, and Aiden deserves it. He was absolutely brilliant as Mitchell. And lastly, we've got Foster with the two crying face emojis. Um, yeah, I don't know why I have never cried at being human because I love it so much. I get so involved in it, so involved in the tension and the drama and the comedy of it all. Maybe I can't relate to being a vampire. That's probably a big part of it. I've recently watched One Day on Netflix. Never seen the film, read the book. And by the end of it, I was in an absolute pool of tears. And whether that's because I'm getting old, 43, nearly 44 now. And I can relate to the show because it's an on-off relationship spanning 20 years and every new episode plays like a new chapter in their life whether they're with someone else other people in a new location times have moved on and you can relate to that and you can relate to loss losses and gains and all those emotions Uh, i've recently bought the book and i'm going to tuck into that soon and i'm going to relive the ordeal all over again um so I would just say I'm glad that I didn't discuss Desiree <laughs> on the chat with Sue and Elizabeth. Desiree, the song Life, I, I think Desiree is one of the great philosophers of our of our generation, my generation, of all generations. And the police officer's London's Burning spoof parody, whatever you want to call it, reminds me of the song Life by Desiree and I'm going to take a few moments now so you can understand the genius of our great leader Desiree. I'm afraid of the dark, especially when I'm in a park and there's no one else around. Ooh, I get the shivers. I don't want to see a ghost. It's the sight that I fear most. I'd rather have a piece of toast and watch the evening news. Life, oh life, oh life, oh life, do 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 do, life, oh life, oh life, oh life, do do do. I think we can just 
take a moment to process the lyrical genius. Uh, there was a Twitter account about the news. It's called the News by Desiree. And it was always tweeting about the current news, but with terrible rhyming slang like that. And I fucking retweeted every moment of it because I loved it. And I'm so childish. The fact that life reminds me of that London's Burning Spoof is the fact that it just rhymes ghost with most. And it's absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, and also with Desiree, life comes from an album. And guess what the album's called? Supernatural. Ooh, spooky. Um... What else have we got to cover? So Leah, yeah, the whole influencing the outside world, spying on the outside world. I think she knew some people, some of the men with sticks and ropes, and she bribed them and told them to fuck over Mitchell because they're not really around each other. I suppose at the end of series two, Annie's in purgatory, and then she's... Yeah... It's it's a difficult one. I, I'm just going to go with she's bribed. If if it's happened off screen, you can kind of fill in the gaps. She's bribed the men with sticks and ropes. She may even have given them a grope. I don't know. And that's where she's got her influence from. Because she seems very powerful for someone who's very young and, and only just passed over. It, it, if it's off screen, you can kind of elaborate and... And make your own mind up on that one. And as for Bow Wow, yeah, it's it's a term for a dog barking, which is strange to me because it sounds like a cat. Meow meow. Meow meow. My dog's just opened his eyes at that. Um Torres Moore barks like woo woo woo. Woo Yeah, he's looking at me again. Um so yeah, just I think this is another thing that Toby just uses old fashioned terms. Lastly, a bit of cast watch, and it's quite busy on the old Being Human front. Uh, Men Up, which was, I think it aired on BBC One on New Year's Day, and is now available on iPlayer. In Being Human terms, it's got Mark Lewis-Jones, Alexandra Roach, and Paul Rees, uh, as well as uh, these two shows that I'm covering of such an in-depth cast, as well as Stephen Rodri, Ewan Rowan, Katie Wicks, Joanna Page, and some of those names will pop up again in a moment. Men Up covers the discovery of the trial of Viagra back in Swansea in 1994, and a group of men who were put on these first trials. It covers themes of inadequacy, suicide, homosexuality. Paul Reese's character is gay, and gay people back then were not allowed to go for the trials so he kind of lies to get in but he's found out and despite all those kind of dark subjects it's funny it's light-hearted it's kind of got a feel of a film like the full monty if this had been released in the 90s it's you know i can imagine this being quite big in the cinema i would have happily seen this as a full series but it's just a one-off film it's got plenty of cock jokes I'd be disappointed if it didn't. Uh, so that's Men Up on iPlayer. 
And lastly, The Way on BBC iPlayer as well. I watched all three episodes in one go and I absolutely loved this. This is a who's who of Welsh talent uh, in front of the screen and behind the camera. It's written by James Graham, Michael Sheen and the documentary maker Adam Curtis Direct. Uh, in terms of being human, again, Paul Rees, Mark Lewis-Jones, Erin Richards, who plays Nancy, but familiar names we just had, Stephen Rodri as well, who was also in Men Up, Callum Scott Howells of It's a Sin, Michael Sheen is a, a small part, but he's, he's in it. And it follows a family called the Driscolls, who have to go on the run after some riots kick off at the steel plant at Swansea that overlooks the town and it's a very difficult one to pinpoint exactly what it is about this show because if you look at the blurb you might think it's just a standard run of the mill drama but it's quite obscure in places quite surreal uh one of the first scenes someone sets themselves on fire but it's also quirky it's got funny moments and the music is quite uneasy. It's definitely got that influence from Adam Curtis's documentary seeping in. Uh, I reckon it's Marmite. I reckon people will either love this or absolutely hate it. I took to it. Um, yeah, only three episodes, three hour long episodes. It is called The Way on BBC iPlayer. And that is it. So like I say, the next full moon will be Becoming Human. And we will answer your listener questions or anything you want to send to us at boxtunnelpod at gmail.com. And then a little bit of a break until June. So until next time, I'm doing this because I love you. the Box Tunnel Podcast and thanks